generate is supporting my vision to improve the financial literacy of 100,000 Kiwis by sponsoring Keep the Change. Cheers, Generate. Head to generatekiwisaver.co.nz forward slash change to find out more. Getting in the KiwiSaver fund that suits you and your situation is key to making sure you're maximising your investment. Generate are an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of long-term performance and they can help you do exactly this. Their advisors can meet with you to talk about all your options when it comes to KiwiSaver to help you decide what's best for you. Too many people never get KiwiSaver advice, but not you. Go to generatekiwisaver.co.nz forward slash change to book a no-obligation chat with a Generate advisor. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited. And of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Welcome in, you are listening to a very special episode here because we've got a great guest today, Jody Collins, one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to crypto and crypto taxes in the country. Poor old Jody is sitting across from me with her favourite song on, well one of her favourite songs, and regretting saying yes to this, so I'm glad that you've made it Jody. good to see you. Thank you. You're obviously thinking, oh, why have I signed up to buddy come and talk to talk to Luke about taxes and crypto and whatnot? But I think uh, it's very important because so many people think they know about this stuff, but they don't. Yeah, definitely. And you probably know more than all of us combined, I would guess. I'm hoping. I know a fair bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to take us through your background then of basically how come you know so much about crypto taxes? Okay. So... From my accent, English, <laughs> grew up in England, went to university and trained as a CA in England, became a tax geek from very early on in my career, then um, ended up as a corporate tax manager with PwC in the UK, and then came on secondment to Napier in the Hawke's Bay. A bit random, people think, but my sister was in Hawke's Bay at the time, so that was the attraction. And then I, my secondment was as a national training manager there. And then when that secondment ended, did that usual UK girl thing of I'd met a Kiwi boy, decided not to go home and then joined the dark side of Inland Revenue as, yes, as an investigator. So I spent 11 years there and working mainly on complex tax technical issues. And then the last four years that I was there, I spent as part of the crypto asset working group. So that was... There was investigations, policy, legal, tech specialists all worked together to to back up IRD's position on how the law applies to crypto. Wow. And I'd imagine that's obviously a pretty new space, so it wouldn't be a massive team, would it? No, it wouldn't be a massive team. But I think people think that IRD don't know a lot about crypto, but those few people are very knowledgeable. And how does it go turning up to parties or events telling people that you're an IRD investigator? <laughs> do you say that or do you just hide yeah, that? You get generally two respond one of two responses. The first one is people just kind of roll their eyes and walk away. Or two, they say, oh, I've got a question for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Normally around, will they ever find out? Wow, yeah. I'd imagine like the amount of times I hear, oh, I was down at the pub with John and he reckoned that his accountant said you could do this. <laughs> John's accountant's a moron. Go back yep. and tell John that. <laughs> yeah, but then you probably take a note and then go righto. Uh, <laughs> for some understanding for the everyday Kiwi out there listening to this, how likely are they to be investigated, or you know, how does that come about? Okay, so I assume you're allowed to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing I don't think that's not common knowledge out there that. IR have certain powers to request information or look at certain things. Uh, But before that, there's the amount of people that are own or are involved in crypto nowadays is just massive. When I first started, it was that usual response of, oh, that's, it's fairy dust. It doesn't exist. It's out there in the, the ether somewhere. And what exactly is it? 
But now when I have conversations with people, they either have some or they know somebody who's got some or there's a family member involved in it. So the number of people who need to start considering the tax implications of what they're doing is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So when we first started the crypto project, there was no secret made of the fact that Inland Revenue went out to the New Zealand exchanges, a bit like we get information from the banks on bank account movements and things like that. And we requested information from the New Zealand exchanges. IR have the power to do that. And so I think they did collaborate for a while, the exchanges, to see whether they legally had to provide all that information to Inland Revenue, but they did. And so all that is that information is sat in a database somewhere. So if you've ever bought or sold crypto through a New Zealand exchange, and of course, we all know that that now includes Binance New Zealand, which it didn't before, your information is on a list somewhere. Yeah. Okay. I think that might be the first point where people go, oh, I didn't, didn't realise could, they could actually do that. But the IRD have pretty strong powers, right? They can literally, by the sounds of it, get whatever information they need, whether not crypto, not just crypto related. You know. uh, there's, a, there's a lot of red tape to jump through. There yeah. has to be either, um, you know, a reasonable risk if it's on an individual level and you not, need to be able to demonstrate that. You can't just go willy-nilly asking for things. Yeah. But on a, on a broader level like that, you know, a prime example is the overseas bank account information. You know, it, there's mutual agreements between countries that we, we share information. And so there's Inland Revenue hold a whole lot of information. Whether they have the resource to do anything with it yeah. is, is an aside. But uh, yeah, thinking that you can get away with them not knowing about something because you've done it through crypto or you've done it over from an off- offshore exchange or something like that. It's it's going to be pretty hard to hide. Okay. Now, when they requested all of that information, what sort of happened next? Or, you know, does that then lead to further inquiry into some of the people in the database, for instance? Or you know, what, what happens? Yep, so it can do. So, you know, one of the things I may have done, I'm not sure whether I'm supposed to say this or not, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so if, I, if you know somebody's got crypto transactions, and you look at their tax return that they filed and they've returned some crypto income, there's no no problem with that. Mm. It may or may not be right, but, you know, they've tried to do the right thing. Yeah, It's more a case of where there's a blank in that tax return and, you know, there's significant activity that you can see. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so I would guess, and you would probably have more insight to this than I, but most people have probably that are in this space have probably brought some crypto at some stage, hoping that it's going to go up in value. We do have an overarching rule in New Zealand around taxes with intention, don't we? So basically, yeah. if we buy something and the intention is that we make a profit, that we need to pay tax on that profit should we make a profit. Therefore, I'd argue all properties in New Zealand should probably be taxed, including the family home. But anyway, that's a, that's an aside. But because most people buy hoping that their prices, their house is going to go up in value. But for the crypto type people, they've probably brought some. They've got a bit of FOMO. They've heard that it's going to go up in value, so that's why they've done that. And what do they need to know if they then sell that, or yeah. even if they don't sell it? So two parts: one, if they just hold on to it and, and don't sell, do they have any obligation? And secondly, if they do sell, what's their obligation? Yep. Yep. So just to clarify, there are no specific crypto tax rules. It's just ordinary rules that apply. And the predominant one being what you've spoken about, which is CB4. So there was the Cryptopia case, which is used not just in New Zealand, but globally. And one of the decisions that came out of that was that crypto assets are not money. They're not legal tender. They are property, but personal property, not real property. So when you're applying the normal rules, obviously we have a whole huge range of um, real property provisions that that don't apply, you know, your CB6 onwards and your bright line, obviously. But CB4 basically says that if you acquire personal property with the dominant purpose of disposal, then it's taxable income to you. So you can do, so then people came around and said, well, I didn't buy it for the dominant purpose of disposal. I've bought it because nowadays you can stake it and something similar to interest in, you know, on your money in the bank. And they said, I didn't acquire it for disposal. I acquired it to stake it or to lend it or for, you know, all wild and wonderful reasons that they bought it, anything but the gain. Hedging against the currency devaluation, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You would have heard it all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
but predominantly because it's really hard to prove that disposal wasn't your dominant purpose because of the volatility of the crypto market. People go, oh, well, you don't treat my shares like that, that are having sharesies. The same principles apply. It's just simply that, you know, New Zealand has a system of Mm self-assessment. You're supposed to self-assess your correct position. So if you are trading and things like that on sharesies, you should still be applying the same same rules. But obviously, uh, the fluctuation in share prices is nowhere near as massive as the volatility in crypto. So if inland revenue have got limited resource to apply to checking those things, clearly they're going to go after the one that's the more volatile one that people are playing in making the bigger gains than the, you know, someone with a, a few hundred dollars spare cash that they're dipping in and out of shares is all the time. But the principle is the same. They're both taxable in most circumstances. Got yeah. Okay. So there's no specific crypto rules. That's probably the first learning for people there. But it comes back to CB4, which is some geeky tax legislation yeah. <laughs> talk, but that's good. I know what you're talking about. And it comes back to dominant purpose and effectively intention, right? So why are we buying these things and are we going to sell them? If we've made a profit, then we probably need to be paying tax on it. So let's say somebody does buy $10,000 worth of Bitcoin on the 1st of April, 2022, and they sell it on the 30th of March, 2023, and it's now worth their $10,000 of Bitcoin is now worth $20,000. Is it as simple as they need to pay tax at their marginal tax rate on the $10,000 gain? Pretty much. Yeah. There's a few other nuances because there are transaction fees and little bits and bobs like that. But that's the, that's basically the principle. You're paying tax on the profit that you've made. Okay. And if they sold it then, instead of on the 30th of March, they sold it on the 2nd of April, which is in a new financial year. Yep. Would they then recognise the gain of the $10,000 in the new financial year and have to pay tax on it at the end of that financial year? Yes, so it's on okay. a realised basis. Yeah. So if you, if you bought it for 10000 and at the year end you still hold it, even if it's fluctuated, it's worth fifteen or five or whatever it may be, if, if you haven't realised it, so you haven't sold it, then nothing happens until yeah. the point of sale. And if you start moving this $10,000 of Bitcoin around different exchanges, does that deem a sale? as can happen sometimes with different assets in New Zealand where you might move it from a company to a trust or from individual into a company and things like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so in the situation you've just described, your ownership hasn't changed. It's just where you're holding it. So it's it's very similar to shares. You know, you could hold it in sharesies or you could hold it in your own name. Yeah. Sharesies is acting as a nominee for you. So there's no change in the sharehold, in the ownership there. And moving between wallets that you own is not a disposal. What about if I move it to start staking it, as you mentioned before, which means that I might earn some extra income on it? Is that a change of purpose? And therefore, so it's, so? No. no, so it's your dominant purpose at the time of acquisition. Okay, cool. So if you do something after the event, it doesn't matter. It's So one of the things might be you acquired it with the dominant purpose of resale you know, some point in the future, hoping that you make some money, but actually you end up gifting it to somebody. The fact that you've gifted it doesn't matter. You look at the time of acquisition. Okay, so I could gift my crypto to somebody and that would just be, well, it's just a gift. Yeah, but there are still consequences for a gift. Um, So usually a gift is deemed market value disposal. So if you're in a loss-making position... Not so bad. Yeah. And good for the person that you're gifting it to because generally no tax issues because how can you have a dominant purpose at acquisition if it was unanticipated? Yeah, gotcha. Okay. And then they may be able to sell it in the future tax-free because they didn't intend to actually, their dominant purpose was nothing. Oh, fuck, I got some free crypto. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So what you're saying here for people to understand, because this might be getting a bit to the point where some people are going, what are you talking about, gifting, etc. So basically, I've got some crypto and I decide that I'm sick of holding this stuff and then I gift it to my friend and say, you can have this, I know that you're into this stuff, I'm, I'm done with it now. And my dominant purpose when I brought it though was that hopefully I'll make some money out of this, but it's gone from 10000 down to $5,000. I give it to my friend and say, get the shit out of my life. You want it? Yeah, yeah, I'll have it, transfer it to me. Cool, I'm done with it. 
I've lost five thousand dollars. I've realised a five thousand dollar loss. Yes. Because of the difference between the market value of the ten thousand and the five thousand is a five thousand dollar loss. Yep. And I can then claim that five thousand dollar loss in my tax return. Yes, as and a it's loss. not it's not ring fence like a, a rental loss. You can okay. claim it against your other income. And where does that go into your tax return if someone was trying to do their own tax return? Not that I. She's <laughs> doing that. <laughs> so, you probably come and see you. Yes. Sorry, we'll get to that. Yeah. So generally, the other income box. Okay. And now Inland Revenue have put a few more drop down boxes in there that you can give an explanation rather than just putting a figure in and having no clue what it was. Um. So you can put that it was a crypto investment in the in the narrative. If you're employed and therefore don't generally have a bit code, if you know what a bit code is, you can tell you, us. Well, you do. But yeah. um, if you're self employed. You generally have a code that you choose and it relates to the, the type of activity. It's used for ACC as well. So if you're an accountant, for example, you'd choose the accountancy bit code. If you're a plumber, you choose the plumber one. But if you're just employed, you don't generally need a bit code. Um, but there is some bit codes now around crypto. Okay. So you could choose one of those if you've not, because you're only allowed to have one. Yeah. Um, so if you don't have a bit code and you're returning crypto income or losses, then you could choose a crypto related bit code as well. Where I think it might also then get confusing for people is that say you're buying Bitcoin regularly, hoping that it's going to increase in value. So your intention is that it increases. You probably know where I'm going with this. Yep. And then you, much like, you know, your dollar cost averaging into sheezies or whatnot. And then all of a sudden you go, I need some money because I'm going on this trip or, or whatever. You need to take it out. And then you sell out a portion of your crypto. Then I think it becomes really confusing. Well, some of it's gone up in value. Some of it hasn't. What, what do we do from there? So there's potentially three cost methods that you could use that Inland Revenue will accept. So the first one is probably quite rare that you're going to come across this but let's say for example you bought three bitcoin in three separate one dollar transactions one bitcoin transactions and you had three separate wallets and so you bought one for five thousand dollars and it went into wallet one you bought another one for ten thousand dollars it goes into wallet two another one for seven thousand dollars goes into wallet three and then you dispose of one whole bitcoin and when you dispose of it you know which one it is that you're disposing of so if you dispose out of the the one of wallet one, which you probably wouldn't do because it's got the lowest cost, but yeah. <laughs> if you dispose of that, you can see that that one Bitcoin cost you 5,000. It's been stored separately. You can, you can trace the transaction of what it cost. And therefore, you, if you want to, you can use the cost of that one Bitcoin. So given how many wallets, transactions, exchanges people use, yeah. probably quite rare. Yeah, I was going to say that would be tidy. Yeah. <laughs> So then you're, and because as well, you can obviously buy in really small denominations. So it doesn't have to be one whole one. You could be getting rid of, even though you've got one in a separate wallet, it could be a half or 0.25 or whatever. And then the other two methods are FIFO or weighted average cost. So FIFO is first in, first out. So you use the cost of the Bitcoin that you bought first and you gradually come forward until you've reached the point of what you've sold. Yeah. Uh, weighted average cost is you add up the cost of all the Bitcoin that you've acquired, divide it by the amount and apply that ratio to the cost to get the basis for what you've sold. So, but the thing is, is once you pick a method, you need to be consistently using that method over oh, yeah. time. Okay. Now, I've gotten so deep into this, 19 <laughs> minutes, without actually saying that you don't work at the IRD. No, anymore. I don't. I don't. <laughs> so, everyone can, so everyone can stop freaking out <laughs> and thinking, has, has Jody asked Luke for the database of the Keep the Change Next Advisory <laughs> listeners to have a look at their tax returns and what they're doing? Now you help people get this stuff right, right? I do. Because I'm thinking in my head already, I would just get someone that's way smarter than me that understands this shit to say, can you please help me sort it out? Because I don't want to get this wrong. And that's what you do now, right? Yes. Yeah. Because there's a massive problem in, um, first of all, crypto tax is probably a little bit unique in that um, most people understand what shares do and getting a dividend or buying a property and receiving rent. Crypto is not well known and not well understood. And, you know, mining, staking, lending, trading. And on top of that, because it trades 24-7 around the world, 
the amount of transactions can be massive. If you're thinking about trying to track anything in a spreadsheet, you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, you know, and then if you think pretty much for every transaction you make, there are three transactions. So you're buying something, you're selling something, and you're probably going to have a transaction fee, which also could be in a different either fiat currency or a different cryptocurrency. So there's a lot of stuff to try and track. And then, of course, you've got to apply the principles of, so we talked about a disposal. A disposal isn't just coming back to New Zealand dollars. A disposal is if I own some Bitcoin and I swap that for some Ethereum, for example, that is a disposal of my Bitcoin. So every time you swap from one coin to another, um, that's a disposal that you need to work out whether you've got a taxable gain or loss on that. Um, So it's really complex. And then you kind of need to know how to... How, how crypto works as well on the blockchain, what the transactions look like. So there's really not a lot of people in New Zealand that know how to do it. So yeah, I left Inland Revenue and that's what I do. Wow. There is tech software out there that helps you. Um, some well-known names, Coinly, Crypto Tax Calculator, CoinPanda. There's a New Zealand-based one called Taxoshi. Uh, and it does do quite a lot of calculations for you. But you just need to be mindful. So, for example, I had a client and we use, I use Coinly predominantly. And if you go onto Coinly's website, the first thing that comes up, I think, is do your tax return in 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Three months on, one guy said to me, this was supposed to be in 20 minutes, Jody. you know. Yeah. <laughs> Three months on, we're still going. So what that does is you can link your wallets and your exchange information or upload CSV files. And it pulls in all your transactions and it does calculations based on those transactions. But it still just does need pretty much a line by line manual review to ensure that it's got the correct labels or you could have missing information. So it's quite a time consuming job Mm. to do. And at the end, it can be a massive number or it could be a not huge number. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you can help people figure out all of the information that they need for a specific tax year. And I'd imagine you might have to go back and tidy up some historic tax years at times as well. Yes. Yeah, so generally you need to start from the beginning. Um, it's not something that you can come along and say, oh, I'm just going to ignore what's happened in the past and I'm going to start from now. Because as we talked about, those cost basis methods accumulate and roll forward what yeah. is effectively the cost base of what you've got now. Gotcha. Um, so if gains or losses have accumulated over time you don't want to just start now thinking oh well I paid ten dollars for it back then Mm. yeah you need to apportion it between the between the tax years okay I'll take you back to a couple of things you mentioned staking and mining we'll start with staking staking much like you take your dollars your New Zealand dollars to a bank and you say hey I want to park these with you what will you give me and they say we'll give you five percent interest over an annum and we'll tax it as well. Staking is basically the same thing, right? So you park your crypto somewhere and someone pays you a return to have use of that, maybe, or whatever they do with it. Yeah, yeah, they do something fancy with it. Yeah. Um, yes, but basically the difference being is there will be two taxable events for that. So when you receive that, let's just call it interest back. Uh, so let's say let's say you state 1,000 ADA, for example. Cardano. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And you got 10 back as a reward for staking. When you receive that 10 reward, that's a taxable event, like it is for your bank interest. You work out the market value of those 10 ADA that day. Let's say they're $3 each. So you've got $30 worth of taxable income at that point in time. But at that point in time, you don't have any New Zealand dollars, for example. So when you actually dispose of those 10 that you earned as a reward, there's another taxable event which uses the $30 that you've already been taxed on as the base cost. And then, so if you sold them for 40, you'd have an extra $10 worth of income. If you sold them for 20, you'd have a $10 loss. So there's no double up in what you're taxed on. It's just a timing difference. Yeah. So you, the way to look at it would be your income equals the total market value of the receipt of the staking, well, sorry, of the interest. Yeah, because you didn't, you didn't, you got them for free. Yeah, Yeah, you didn't pay for them. Yeah, and then, but then I go to sell them back into New Zealand dollars to actually go and buy a couple of Big Macs. They've gone down in value. Well, then my taxable income decreases. 
because they're not actually worth what they were when I made them. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And then what about staking? Oh, sorry, mining. People that are into mining. I don't really understand that space. So from what I have read, people get some fucking supercomputers or something and turn them on and and then they're spitting out some Bitcoin or something to them. That's about as much as I know. Yeah. Basically, you're right. A long time ago, it was a lot easier to do. And so you would have more people mining. Started off with mostly gamers. They already had the equipment, you know, the decent graphics cards and equipment available to be able to mine just on their own computer at home. As mining's um, got more difficult, so that because there's fewer Bitcoin to mine, the algorithm that needs to be solved has got more difficult. And so you can't do it just on your home computer anymore. You need more and more and more equipment. So you'll have seen China with all mm. those massive containers and warehouses where yeah. they had all that equipment. So they were doing it on a massive basis. I won't explain exactly what mining is, but it's basically a job. So if you were mining, you treat it on a scale like that, you would treat it like a business. Okay. So income that you got in is taxable, but you could deduct the cost of all that equipment and your electricity and things like yeah. that. But it's it's probably a lot rarer. Some of the less more less known coins, you can still do some mining. I think the message is generally, if you're doing it on a regular basis to earn income, then you treat it as a business. And when you are mining, you'll kind of like staking you'll get given or rewarded with the token yes and is that a form of income at that time at market value um so it's like a business yes yeah, so okay. it's it's um even before you convert it back to new zealand dollars if you know say you just mine it and hold it and then you've got it you, that's still a form of income yes yeah okay, yep. makes sense and also there are gst rules that do apply to things uh-huh. like that because it's a business Generally, crypto is outside the realms of GST, but where you're using it for a business activity, then you may need to consider GST. Geez, everyone thought that crypto was so simple and so hidden, uh, <laughs> and nothing to do with taxes, and and here we are. What about those people who say that you know they got crypto somehow, the IRD won't know that they have it, there's no trace of it, then they store it somehow, and... Can it, can it always be traced, I guess, is what I'm asking. So the thing about blockchain technology, people often assume that it's anonymous and it's actually pseudon- pseudonymous. So that means that um, you have a, a wallet, because I understand you had a bit of crypto in the yep. past, Luke. We'll get to so, that. Yeah, <laughs> so you um, will have a wallet address. If I know your wallet address, I can go onto the internet and I can look up that wallet address and it will tell me what tokens are in that wallet. I wouldn't know unless you unless you gave me that information that you owned that address, that you were the owner. Oh, yeah. So actually all the transactions and all the coins that are held at individual addresses is all publicly available. Yeah. And can you see how much I've got of it as well? Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. So it'll tell me that your wallet has got two Bitcoin. Minus or your, three. Or your <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's the one thing about crypto that's a bit, <laughs> it's irreversible. So I think that's one of the things that scares people about getting involved in crypto. It's not like if you make a bank payment to the wrong place and you ring the bank and say, oh, I cocked up, can we sort this out? If you send a crypto transaction to the wrong address or an invalid address, it's just disappeared. But the great thing is, is that if you do that, you can go and look on the blockchain explorer yeah. and see that your crypto is... So, so say you sent 10 Bitcoin to the wrong address, you could go and look it up and see that that Bitcoin is sat there. You just don't know who owns it and, and you can't get it back. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you can dream about what once was. Yeah, and who that was <laughs> yeah. and yeah, what they're doing. And if they woke up and logged in and thought, oh, I've got 10 of these that I shouldn't have. Or if they woke up and then went, shit, I'm going to put that somewhere else quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well... Given that we just mentioned my brief foray into the uh, the crypto world, so you'd be familiar with Celsius, I'd imagine? Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah, good. Why have you rolled your eyes at me? Uh, <laughs> so so the, those who don't understand, basically Celsius was a platform where you could do a number of things, but one of those was transfer them your crypto, and then they would pay your return each month for doing so. So I did that, and... Then I started to read that they were in a bit of trouble and I should probably well, take that out. You didn't read the terms and conditions, did you, before you did that? What, what do you mean? I ticked a couple of boxes, you know? 
which it's basically says, when you hand this over, we now own it and you don't. Outstanding. <laughs> well, let's clear that up. So don't need to ask that. Okay. So what ended up happening is Celsius have filed for bankruptcy over in the States. And now they're actually releasing some of their assets that they still do have, but it seems to be two American people and two people who weren't staking it. They were just leaving it in the wallet that you could Okay. Use, right. So now when I go on there and try and register to claim some of mine back, it just says withdrawals aren't aren't happening <laughs> and, and get bent basically, Luke. So what if I walk you through sort of what happened, because I think this is a good example of just the complexities of this stuff. So I brought some some Bitcoin and whatnot, and I thought oh, I'm going to hold on to this for long term. I was in the, you know, uh, probably the two purposes. I've got to be careful what I say, right, because this puts me on the record. <laughs> I thought I was on the camp a little bit of, oh, this will probably go up in value. That'd be quite cool. It'd be good to just have some if this thing keeps becoming something and I can use it to pay for things on the internet or whatever. I also wanted to learn about it. And I thought with more money getting printed, there's a limited supply of this stuff. This has captured my attention about it. Now, it did start going up in value and that was all good and well. I didn't need it back. So I thought, oh, what's the Celsius thing over here? So then I took a portion of it. I didn't put all of it because I've learned a little bit about diversifying and thought, okay, I'll understand it better. So I transferred over there. Okay, it worked. I didn't fuck it up and send it to the wrong wallet <laughs> or whatever. And then a month goes by and I get a you know, few cents of extra Bitcoin or whatever for, for doing this. I think, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. This thing works. And then it all goes tits up and now effectively everything that I transferred over there is, is gone and I'm probably not going to get it back. I don't know. That seems like it's still ongoing. But what are my tax implications that I need to be aware of for something like that? Yeah, so um, a similar situation is the FTX exchange as well. And so as far as I'm aware, Inland Revenue's position is, so if, if you have a loss, um, you can claim that loss against your other income that we talked about. Because my the, loss is losing the tokens. Yes, your, the amount of your loss is what it costs you. Oh, I see. Not what, so you might you might have paid 5000 it might have been worth 10000 you haven't lost 10000 Yeah, gotcha. Um, you've lost the 5000 that it cost you. So that's what your any deduction would be limited to. And then you need to look at where the proceedings are at. So, for example, they've said, uh, I think at the point that they said this, FTX hadn't gone through the whole process. They hadn't looked at what assets might be available. And so, in effect, you kind of haven't lost it. You just don't have access to it. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of position. Eventually, if the whole proceeds wrap up and you get nothing back, you can claim the full 5000 as a deduction. If, for example, you know, like on some wind-ups, you get so much in the dollar back. Yeah. So let's say you ended up with $1,000 back. You could claim a deduction for 4000 You just have to check the point in time that you're claiming it. So lots of people tried to, at the end of the 23 tax year, to go, well... FTX went bump, and the same for Celsius in that year. Yeah, we're going to say that that's now worthless and claim a deduction. In the uh-huh. revenue, said, "Oh, just work, just slow down a minute." Yeah, you know, we don't. In our opinion, the the proceedings haven't gone far enough to establish that that's gone forever. So they just wanted to wait a bit longer to find out if you were going to recover any or what the situation was. But ultimately, there will be a deduction available. Okay, yeah, I think that's a really important part because that's what. I hear people, when they lose something, they think, oh, I'm just going to put it into my tax return. But you point out the piece, well, hang on, there's legal side of that that actually needs to be finalised. Is that actually the case? Because then if you rush into that, and it, if you do get them back, I'd imagine you've then got to go and reassess your tax return or fix in the next one and show a form of income potentially. Yeah, or the full amount will be taxable in the future with no yeah. deduction. And depending on your tax rates, that might not be beneficial yeah. either. That's, yeah, it's answered my question a little bit because say, you know, I brought $5,000 worth of Bitcoin, but then it was worth 10000 That's when I transferred it to Celsius, say at the height of the market, I'm just making this up. And then I lose it, well, I can't get access to it, but in that time it's come back to say, you know, worth $4,000 of, uh, of Bitcoin, but really my deduction is still... $5,000 because that was my cost to me yeah, at you, the time. Yeah, you hear all the time people going, oh, I lost 100 grand, I lost 100 grand, and you're like, what did you? <laughs> Just because you didn't sell it when it was worth 100000 yeah. doesn't mean, what did you pay for it? Oh, well, yeah. I paid 20. Well, that's technically what you've lost then, and that's... And what about these people who, 
have their crypto stolen. They wake up and they go into their wallet and all of a sudden it's been fleeced. I, I don't even really understand how that happens. No doubt you do. But what, what are the tax implications on that side? Yep. So Inland Revenue recognises that you can um, potentially take a deduction for that. You need to be able to prove it. So you need to show, be able to show the transactions from, you know, in your case, you'd have to show the $5,000 going out of your bank account. If you bought it on an exchange, then your one Bitcoin went to this wallet and you can show that that's your wallet. And you might have even transferred it around a little bit or done some transactions in the middle. Then you'll be able to show that the last transaction on that <laughs> on that yeah. run is it goes to this wallet. And often when you look at those wallets that are, are the scammers wallet, in effect, you'll see that there's stuff going, there's there's lots of different coins because mm. they don't come into your wallet and just take your Bitcoin. They'll come in and scrape everything out. Wow. Um, so often you'll find that in those wallet addresses, there's lots of different, there's heaps of transactions, heaps of coins, you know, random coins and random amounts. So if I looked at something like that as an investigator at IR, I would probably go, right, yeah, you're showing me that you bought it, you had it in these wallets, and now it's gone and you've not got access. That would probably have been enough for me. But if you just want to say, we had people coming saying, I had 20 Bitcoin on a USB stick. Okay, well, yeah. where'd you buy it? Oh, oh, you know, show, yeah. show me what, what was the address that that USB stick was linked oh, don't, you know, yeah, you can't yeah. just go and say, I had this and now it's gone. Yeah. Um, you need to be able to prove to them that you did own it. But in that case, then yes, you, you would be allowed a deduction again for the cost. Did you see quite a bit of fraud or people getting their Bitcoin and, and crypto stolen in your time? And yep, so had a few cases of, of uh, people wanting to claim losses because, of course, you've not just got the the stolen assets where somebody's unknowns to you come in and, you know, scrape your wallet out. There's also the regular scams. Um, you know, like we all get the IRD scam and yeah, you, yeah. you've got a refund. The same in, in crypto world. Give us and you should never ever share your your private key. But people have different ways of getting that information out of you and once you've given that to somebody, they then have access to your wallet and it's all gone. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, there's there's heaps of different ways that scams work. You know, you send me 0.001 Bitcoin and I'll send you one back. Oh. <laughs> yeah, because I wondered how it happens. But I, because I got a phone call recently when I was at a wedding and this person was left me a voice message and they were very distressed and you could tell something was wrong. And then they text me and they're asking, could I call them back? And... I was wondering, fuck, am I about to be scammed here? What is going on? But they forwarded me this email where they were, I think, caught up in some sort of crypto scam and then someone had said, oh, you know, we, we can get it back for you. And so then they were asking for some form of payment to start with. And yep. I was like, holy shit, this is... Wait. And I was saying to them, help you, this is this is my, not my space to call, yeah, yeah. call the police or something. But it was very, very, you know, con confusing. And I thought, man, it would be probably look probably be easier to be fooled into some of the stuff than, than what people realise. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing. And I think it's why a lot of people stay away from it because they're scared of it and they don't understand it. So all I'd probably say to that is if you are considering it, a bit just treat it like any other investment. You know, if you were going to invest in shares, you would do a little bit of research if you were going to do it into mm. sharesies about how that works. How do you get your money into sharesies? What options of things to buy do you have when you're in sharesies? Once you've got the shares, can, do you have to leave them in sharesies or can you take them back out and own, you know, have them in your own hands? Or is the same thing with crypto. So it's a bit like a company. A token probably represents a project that is probably has a, a solution to some problem in the world somewhere. Do your research. Look at where you can buy it how you get your New Zealand dollars onto buying it. Um, if you're going to hold it, then it's best not to hold it on an exchange where you actually don't have custody of yourself. Do a bit of research around what are good wallets to hold, um, you know, take things offline. It's not as scary as you think. Just You just need to, if you go diving in with $50,000, throwing it at it, chances yeah, are yeah. you're going <laughs> to lose it at some point. But as, as an investment 
you know, in your portfolio along with a property or shares or money in the bank, with a little bit of research, it's not actually that scary. Mm. Uh, one thing I would always recommend is a test transaction of whatever you're doing. Um, if you've got $5,000 and you want it to go from A to B, do $50 first and check that it reaches B. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where it was intended to go. Don't just send your full yeah. your full money at, the, at day one and go, oh, it never arrived and sit there sweating for... <laughs> well, yeah, good story for you on that. I had learned that the hard way. We are, I don't know, I started getting messages from people saying, oh, buy this, you get involved in this, this thing. And I'm just thinking, oh, you know, I was pretty keen to just dabble and learn some of these things. And all of a sudden, I think I might have brought 500 bucks worth of, of something. And I thought, okay, followed the instructions perfectly. And then I had to go back to where I brought it from and be like, hey, this is never showing up. And they're like, yeah, you've sent that, whatever. I can't even remember what it was. And they go, you've sent it to an Ethereum wallet. They're on the same fucking something, but yep. that's not where it goes. And <laughs> here's 62 instructions about how you can get it back. And then there's these pancake swaps or something. I'm just like, oh, you know what? I'm going to write this one off as Luke. You're an idiot. You yep. shouldn't. You should have stuck to just doing some bloody accounting, you dickhead. And <laughs> that 500 bucks is gone. And I never. I just didn't even go through with it. I'm like that's lesson learned. Yep, yep. So if you do want to start, I would just say you know research some reputable exchanges, some reputable wallets to save it on, and go with some of the more well-known coins perhaps to start with. Not that they're probably any less risky, but yeah. but you know. There's probably more information about them around um, managing them, and yeah, just give it a go, really. But it's not—it's not as it took me a long time. I was—I was doing it at work and doing it at work, and I was probably a little bit along the lines of everybody else to start with. It's like it's just—it's like dot com bubble. This it's all yeah. you know people, and then it's gone. But and then I'd see cases where people were making just silly and silly amounts of money. And even then, I was like, probably a bit longer ago, New Zealand was probably had a bigger problem than some countries in that onboarding your New Zealand dollars, you know, was being little wee old yeah. NZ. We're not a USD or a GBP. Some platforms you couldn't get your New Zealand dollars on there without going somewhere else first. So it was a bit harder. But now with the likes of Easy Crypto, Binance New Zealand, you can pay straight off your card on, mm. onto those platforms, just like you do with Sharesies. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was going to ask, because it seems to me that Easy Crypto have come into the New Zealand market as such or cornered it a little bit or, you know, and they've got great resources on their website about where to store your, your coins yeah. and market updates every couple of weeks. And you start to get in the rhythm of that and go, okay, this isn't as sort of scary and wild west as what, some people make it out to be. Yeah. They're obviously building a business out of it. Yeah, and I think it's crypto's had a bad name for a few reasons. You know, back in the day, it was all dark web, child porn and guns and drugs and whatever. I think even back then, it was still quite a small proportion. Like with anything, you know, drug dealers have been using cash. Well, for I still bring this up, <laughs> yeah. yeah. For, for as long as, you know, or gold or whatever it may be. I've lost my train of thought. Yeah, Where just, are we going? It was sort of the Wild West and the perception. And I was oh, yeah. going to ask you about the perception of it too, because it seems like it's maybe unfairly tarnished with the, oh, it's used for fraud and, and all this sort of stuff. And I think, look at all the fraud that we read about every day with fucking New Zealand dollars. Yeah, and even like the collapse of FTX, you know, that's all, oh, that's that crypto stuff again. Mm. It's not. It's an individual yeah. doing things that they shouldn't be misappropriating funds, just like banks have done in the past. And, pension funds have done in the past that's individuals behind that that's not the technology itself yeah. that's that's the problem i guess people would say jody that the issue though is the regulation there's not as much regulation because it's in newer space but that's part of risk and reward yep. you know if you want to go into a space that is unregulated or well, you're playing in a space of risk and reward but equally you might park your money in a new zealand bank and if it tips over you're probably not going to yep. get it back but the government may come in and bail it out or someone may bail it out. And so you kind of go, well, there's a perception of safety there. But, you know, there's still risk and reward. That's why the banks say to you, well, we'll give you 5 or 6% interest on this because they're going to go and do something with that yep. to gain a return that's higher than yours to pay you out of that. Yep. And there are also massive benefits from it. You know, typical example in New Zealand would be 
the agricultural pe- people, we get pickers from the islands and so forth. Their main aim here is they come and work to send money home to their family. To send that money home to their family, they go to the likes of the Western Union and it costs a fortune and takes a week to get there. Mm. If they did that with crypto, they wouldn't need a Western Union, would be instant and the fees would be minimal. Yeah, I think that's one of the coolest things that I understood about crypto early outside of the, this goes up in value and that's exciting, was look how quickly this can move. And I thought, holy shit, I haven't seen that before. Yep. Because we didn't even have same day banking at this stage as well. Yeah, yeah. And or now, 27 <laughs> day banking. Yeah. It's like if you did something on a Friday, wait till Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I was blown away. I thought, whoa, this is just smart technology to me. But, you know, some places that is just ordinary around the world and they have that in their banking system but we're slowly getting there but even you know then you learn a lot of people in the world don't actually have a bank account nope but then they can have so it's it's actually an infrastructure behind all of this as well yeah i i have some clients who they use it for, for paying people so they might have you know most people have heard of the likes of upworks or you know you yeah. can get yourself a, a va or whatever mm. and lots of those are based overseas and if there's somebody that you're using regularly, the same thing applies. You know, I think it's one of those where I'm not sure if you actually pay the person who's doing the work or you pay Upworks and they, but they take gotcha. a court and so forth. Yeah. But you could just do that in crypto, have clients that do it in crypto and they pay for those services. Like for Binance, you can do it just peer to peer. If they have a Binance account and you have a Binance account, you just swap your crypto to them. Yeah. The market value for the invoice, they can cash out into their own currency if they so choose, and it's instantaneous. It's instant. What are the common misunderstandings or things that people need to know about crypto and taxes that they probably don't know that I haven't pulled out of you over this last 45 yep. minutes? <laughs> the, the main things are people's, number one, only tax, well, first of all, not taxable. <laughs> that's a myth. Yeah. Yep. There's very few situations where you're not going to have to consider any tax whatsoever. Um, it's only taxable when I cash out back to my New Zealand dollars. Not true. Not true. Uh, if I hold it for a certain period of time, it's either not taxable like a bright line for property because yeah. they're falling into this crypto is property thing, but it's not real property. So bright line test doesn't apply. They've often heard about how it's treated in Australia. So they do have a separate capital gains tax and they have that short-term versus long-term thing. So if you, I think if you hold it for more than a year, you get a preferential tax rate on, oh. on your gain. No, yeah, <laughs> not in New Zealand. That doesn't apply. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even GST if you're trying to mine it and do heaps of transactions potentially. Yep, yep. If you're actively trading it every day, is that caught by GST as well? You're, you have Just sa- buying and selling? Yeah. Or no. So crypto oh. itself isn't um, subject to GST in that aspect. Oh, yeah. But say you were using it as a means of payment in your business then GST, apply, just because you're paying for it in crypto oh, yeah. or accepting payment in crypto doesn't yeah. mean that you wipe the gotcha. GST element out. It's still $10 plus GIST. So. Yeah, so I invoice someone $1,000 plus GST from Next Advisory. That's $1,150. They pay me in $1,150 equivalent of Bitcoin. I'm still returning $150 of GST. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yeah. But if you're actively mining it and in that space and you are doing that and it's getting over $60,000 a year in some form of income, then you probably need to be thinking about GST. Yeah, so it's a little bit tricky, that one. So okay. um, mining is is deemed to be providing a service. Um, so that that's what your business is. Mining is a service. And so if you're over the $60,000 income threshold, then technically you should be registered. Then you've got the issue of who are you selling to? So often when you're mining, you might not know where where the platform is based so if they were offshore for example it would be zero rated so there are issues around identifying the rate that should be applied whether it should be standard rated or zero rated all i'm hearing is that if you're playing around in the space you should probably <laughs> also the funny thing is that people will dive into this stuff hoping that they'll make a lot of money but they won't actually spend a couple of grand in their lifetime getting some good advice, whether it be legal or tax, etc., to just make sure they've got everything sorted. But then they'll bitch and moan in 10 years' time when they find out, oh, that this actually has been taxable the whole time and they've got a knock on the door or an email or a call saying, hey, you know, we had your records from Easy Crypto in a recent review into 
transactions and stuff. We can see you've been active in this space. And then it's like, oh, this is so unfair, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. You know, but, so I think that's the the thing people have to be mindful of. If you're going into something and trying to make a dollar quickly, well, spend some of that to figure out, is this legit? How do I make sure I'm keeping clean? Because you're gonna, you're just pushing out the stress that it's going to bring you to a to a later date. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, definitely. And if people need your help, how can they find you? So I operate through JC Tax is my company. So the website jctax.co.nz. I work in different ways. So I work directly with individuals on their crypto. So if you know you're just employed and you don't really have other taxable income, I can help you with just your your crypto and do your tax return for you. If you already have an agent, I can either work with your accountant so I'm not stealing Mm. clients from other accountants. They just keep your the normal work and then they outsource the crypto part of that return to me and then I can either deal directly with the individual because it's a little bit easier sometimes than trying to have a whole three-way conversation with especially with somebody that doesn't really understand a great deal about what you're asking so yeah I generally use Coinly as a as a basis for what we're doing and that's something that helps to lower the costs for them they can I, I generally get them to upload all their transactions and all their information into there, which is a little bit like zero. So then they give me access to it and we can both see all the transactions and things like that. And there's no cost for Coinly until you start getting the tax reports out. So yeah, I generally work with clients like that and can give either them the information or their accountant. Nice one. And your spelling of your name is J-O-D-I, for those who yes, might try and Google no, you. No yeah. E, no Y, no <laughs> yeah. double D. I've had all sorts yeah. of <laughs> And then last name, C-O-L-L-I-N-G-E. Yes. So, but if they search for jctax.co.nz, well, just plug that in, they'll be able to find you as well. Thank you for that deep dive into crypto. I feel like we've only really scratched the surface yep. of it. We probably have, right? <laughs> And I feel like I've been far too technical for people. No, it's been good. We haven't even touched on bloody NFTs as well. So we'll have to do a part two. You have to get me back. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to do a part two and probably a part three and then a part four. But I wanted to cover this from a broad angle because I think the majority of people are probably either playing around with some form of ownership and then maybe even dabbling into NFTs. But people aren't talking about those at the moment by the seams. But if you have been, probably need to understand your tax obligations. I imagine you can help with that side of things as well. Sure can. Yeah. But if you've got an individual situation with your crypto, be mindful as well that your accountant may not know the rules. No. Yeah, and they might think that they do, and they may be charging you a bill to do that, but could actually be getting it wrong because it's not... But this is a very specialist area, I guess is what I'm saying. Yep. I have seen some accountants advertising through their websites and things that they can do your normal tax return with with the, with the crypto information for like the bargain price of $800. And I wouldn't even probably let somebody just do my crypt, my tax return for $800, <laughs> let alone put my crypto. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Any way to make a dollar in the accounting industry, Jody? It's yeah, yeah. Stuff. Yep. All right, thank you again. We'll have to yeah, definitely get back and, and dive deeper into this. I hope that has been valuable for people listening out there. I think that you know this is an area that's going to, it's not going to go away anytime soon. I think people might have hoped that it was. The conversations probably died off around it, but I'm sure as it starts dropping more or increasing more, then the media start to talk about it more and it's kind of look who's losing money or look who's making money in this space. But I think the key message needs to be that you need to understand the stuff more than just, oh, you can make money out of it and you're not going to have to pay tax on it. Simple as that. Oasis to take us back out of here. You're my-